you know, God is so good to us, and we're going to learn about how good he really is today. And if you haven't already done so, let's find our way to Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse, uh, 20, uh, verse 4 and 5. We're going to be looking at this beautiful portrait of God's love for us today. Uh, from the words of the Shema. Now remember the Shema is the prayer that Jewish people have prayed for centuries. Morning and night they come before the Lord and they pray this prayer. And I'd like us to pray it this morning. I'd like us to say it out loud together as we begin our teaching time this morning. So if you have your Bibles open, you can do it or we've got it on the screen right here. So let's do it together. Ready? Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, morning and night, Jewish people would pray that prayer sincerely. And the beautiful thing about that prayer is it says so much. We've been unpacking the special words of this prayer. Here, the Hebrew word for here uh, is shema. It's to listen, but not just audibly to listen, but to respond with our lives. And then last week, we looked at the word Lord. And what does it mean when we say Lord in our prayer? And we talked about that God is the one and only And he is the one who can truly shape our lives and transform our lives. He is the king over all uh, kings and the Lord over all lords. When we say the word Jehovah, we're saying so much about the character and nature of who God is. And he wants us to know his name. And today we come to this beautiful word, love. Ahava, let's say the word. Ahava. It's a broad word, as the video showed us a minute ago. It's a broad word that describes basically affection. It's the same kind of affection that a husband and wife feel for each other, or parents feel for their children, or children for their parents, or even for a whole group of people to a leader, or leader to a whole group of people. But what's important to understand about this word, ahava, is it's not just about a feeling we experience. Even though it's one of God's strongest feelings or emotions, it doesn't stop or it shouldn't be reduced to just feelings only. It has a lot to do with action. It has actually more to do with action. So Scripture is describing for us not a word that gives us just about feelings, but about the actions that come from those uh, feelings and from what is really going on in the relationship. Now this is a prayer that the Jewish people have prayed for ages, and I find it interesting, and maybe you've thought about this too, is that this doesn't sound so much like a prayer of beseeching. It sounds more like a command force, right? I mean, when you're praying, do you say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength? You usually don't. It sounds like you're talking to yourself. The idea of this prayer that the Jewish people have prayed is a good reminder to all of us that our prayers should be, in a sense, a, a reflection of what our hearts desire in our lives for God. And so when the, when the writer, when Moses writes in Deuteronomy and God gives us this beautiful passage of Scripture, which the Jewish people turned into this beautiful prayer that they would pray morning and evening, we can see this just as much as an invitation or better, a response to God and who He is in our lives. And so if you're taking notes this morning, there's going to be three things we're going to look at quickly. Uh, the first one's going to go just like that, and that is where we start is that loving God should be the way, the natural way we respond to Him. This is what all through the Scriptures we find when it comes to God's love. Loving God should be just simply the response we give to Him. It should be the natural response. Now those that belong to God know that this is, is true. Uh, because we, some people hear this and we think, well, okay, I get it. I've got an obligation. 
you know, I, I, it's a duty. I should, I'm supposed to love God, so yeah, God, help me love you more. It's like this obligation piece. But if you know and love God this morning, you know that it's not so much an obligation as much as it's a, it's a reminder of the beauty of an invitation that God gives to us. And that it's actually just a natural response that we have in our hearts. We want to love God, right? I mean, we, we don't always love God like we should, but it's our desire to love God. It's not like an obligation. It's not like something that I just have to do. But that's the difference between religion and relationship with God. Religion is all about duty, obligation, responsibility. And so you could, if you're a religious person only, if you're only religious and you're trying to kind of carry out the, the party lines, so to speak, then you read something like this and you go, yeah, I get it, I get it, I need to love God more, you know, I need, I need to figure out how to do this better. But if you're in relationship with God, it's not like, oh, I need to do this more as much as I want to do this more. This is beautiful, to love God back the way he has loved me. It's true in every relationship. In fact, we find this in uh, the, uh, John the Apostle writes in 1 John 4, 19, and I think it was in the video too, we love because what? He first loved us. You see, that's response. Why do we love? Why do we love God? Why do we love others? Because he's first loved us. Not so, we don't love so that he will love us. We love because he loves us. And that changes the game. Everything changes when you come to see that in your life. That our response to God is, is simply uh, out of recognizing what he has done for us. Now, this is true in human relationships, too. You know, you can do the social experiment. Uh, you know, when you're loved, you want to love back, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to turn away love. Love is a powerful force. It's the most powerful force, I think, in all the world. Love and God's love. So, you know, social experiment. Smile at someone and see what happens. Most of the time, they'll smile back. You know, and all of us have had that awkward experience where you thought someone was smiling at you, and so you smile back, and then you find it's a person behind you, you know, and you feel a little awkward. That happened to me this last week again. It happens all the time. But you know, the beautiful thing is if you just become a person that is winsome and smile and greet people and, and do loving actions, you'll see that people want to reciprocate that. That's a natural human response. So it ought to be that we are so loved by God, we would just love him back very naturally in our lives. But here's the second movement that I want to just jive into here. And it's the simple fact is that we don't naturally love God as we should. I mean, the reality is, even though we know that we are really loved by God, and yet there's a lot of people that don't understand his love. I, I get it, that not everyone has contemplated the amazing love of God. But you would think with the love of God that has been manifested and through his people, there would be a lot more genuine, natural response of loving God back. And why is it that people don't? I want to take just a couple of minutes. We'll just walk through a, a little grid of, of why people don't love God like they should or in terms of response. And the first two, I'm going to give you five reasons. The first two really are kind of harnessed in an unbeliever's life. And it dives a little bit into a possible believer, but then the last three are really about believers, the way we don't love oftentimes the way we naturally should. One reason is because we're really aren't, we aren't able to love God until or unless we belong to him. Uh, and that's, that's just a right out of the chute, something that everybody should understand. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, you're not in a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, his son, uh, you really cannot love God back. You're not capable of doing so. 
you don't have the love of God within you. And so it's, it's sort of a barren place. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 uh, describes the spirit of the age. See if you connect with this. We'll put it on the screen. 2 Timothy 3, and this is just the end of it. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than what? Lovers of God. That's, is that the spirit of the age or what? Lovers of pleasure, lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Uh, all of these things, these are the things that come naturally to the non-believer. And the non-believer cannot really love God back the way God commands us to and the way we're praying this prayer. And so it would be foolish to even pray this prayer if you didn't have a relationship with God. And the fact that, we are, that before we are saved that we don't love God as we're commanded to or invited to is proof that we are sinners and incapable of doing so. It's proof that we are broken, that our world is broken. And this, of course, is the, the foundation stone of the gospel in realizing that our brokenness, realizing that there's something that's gone really wrong, and we see it in the world. Look around. Look at the newspaper today. Look at all the stuff that's going on. We can, you cannot look at all that and say, the world is going along just fine. There's something radically broken in our world. But we don't have to point to the world and say, look at what's broken out there. We know it's broken because of what's broken in us, right? I mean, we are broken people. But by the grace of God, he can heal us by salvation. He can heal us by his Holy Spirit. And so if you haven't come to know Christ today, this is what we're begging you to understand. And, and we don't even believe that that can be done rationally. The Spirit of God has to open your heart. And so we preach the gospel we preach that truth that we're sinners, that we're separated from God, that we're on a, a course of damnation, but God, being rich in mercy and grace, opens our eyes, he speaks to us, he, he shows his love in a beautiful way, and when you, when you get that, it's not because you figured it out or because you're smart, you get it because God's sovereignty allowed you to see it. And that's why we just fall on our faces before God and why we want to worship him and love him back with all of our hearts. Another reason why people don't love God is because there are enclaves of religious groups and individuals that don't represent God's love accurately. And when I talk about, I, what I mean by this is there's counterfeit religious systems and even churches that don't convey God's love adequately or, or uh, reasonably. Um, I talk to people all the time that come out of cults, you know, that talk about the, the drumming of all the metrics and the numbers and the people they have to get to and all the duties and responsibilities and world religions that also sort of speak of these things. And there's really just a couple of big options you've got. You, you know, when you're, when you're choosing your way, your worldview, you've either got the, the road of, of materialism, which only thing that is real is physical, and you put all your hope in physical things, and only what is physical is eternal, and, and you just, it's all natural, it's all physical. Or you put your hope in the other side of that, which is, you know, sort of the divine everywhere, that God is everything, God is everywhere. And in fact, on the new age side of it, in fact, you are God and you can just call your own shots. Those are the only two big options you've got. Physical matter is everything or sort of this divine, you know, non-personal but divine uh, all around us and even in us. And in our culture, in our world, people are leaning more toward that. Uh, well, it's kind of split, really. There's people that are very much in just to the physical, and I can only trust what I see with my physical eyes. And then there are those that have this, you know, sort of the spiritualism. But see, none of those things, those two options never convey love. 
There's no personal sense. There's no sense of, of like, oh, I'm touched in my life by a being that stands outside of this creation who infuses within the creation signs of who he is but reveals himself in a different way, reveals himself through his word and reveals himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so incapable of loving because of these systems. But there's also, even under this category, number two, this enclaves of religious systems that really don't have it right, even churches that supposed to have it right, even orthodox churches, can sometimes quench or grieve the spirit and not convey the love of God adequately also, right? And that's why we, we should always remember that. Even here at our church, we believe that we, this is an orthodox church, it's a doctrinally sound church. Uh, we are people that love God sincerely. None of us are perfect, but we are seeking to love God sincerely in our lives. But we, in individual relationships and even corporately, we could do things that don't convey love. And, and so we have to be careful about that. We should, we should be very uh, you know, aware and alert to this issue. I have a friend I've been sharing the gospel with. I don't think he's a believer in Jesus. Like, I understand what that means. Uh, you know, but it's between him and God. But he comes from a Catholic background. He's a very religious guy. And I love this man. He's an older man. He's actually older than me, which, you know, that's something to go for right there. <laughs> and anyway, I, I spent a little time with him. I know him from the gym. I, I, I've had coffee with him. We've talked a lot. And, and he tells me a couple of weeks ago, he says, yeah, you know, my wife and I visited this church, not this church, but a church, uh, a, a Protestant church, and he said, um, we got a phone call the next week from them. They left this message on our answering machine. I want you just to help me understand what they're saying. They said, and he quotes, he said, they said, if you don't come back to our church and join our church, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> that took me about a half hour to unpack, you know. It's like, well, first of all, that's totally wrong, I tell him, because church or not church doesn't send anybody to hell. It's whether you believe in Jesus or not, or whether you've surrendered your life to Jesus, whether he lives in your life. And so it was a, actually it was a beautiful opportunity to kind of clear up and what the, the true gospel is, again, in his life. But when I hear that, I think there's somewhere out there, there are people and groups that meet together that think, you know, if you're not in our little thing, if you're not joining and giving money to us and doing the things for us, you're not even saved. You're not even going to heaven. And I go, whoa. Now, you know, I can't ultimately be the judge of all that because I'm not, you know, there could be saved people in that system, but I'll tell you what, the people around them are certainly not going to experience the love of God when you leave a voice message like, like that. Wow. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, you know, when he's talking about people who have been misled by those with bad character, he says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. There are some people that are ignorant of God because of Christians who are not living the way Christians ought to live. So just think about that in our own lives. Now, uh, this is very confusing uh, to the unsaved and undiscerning, but to believers in Christ, we kind of get it. We know but there's, another, there's a couple other reasons. Let me just kind of move along here quickly. Why do we not love God back the way we should? We depend too much on our feelings. 
You know, we think that love is a feeling. I ought to love God more, but I just don't have the feeling to love God more. But, you know, think about this. In every relationship, do you always feel like loving? You know, do you always feel like loving your spouse? No. Do you always feel like loving your kids? No. Sometimes you want to strangle them, you know. You know, isn't that weird? I mean, the people that you really love, you don't always feel like loving, right? But you know that love is more than a feeling. Love is, is an action. Love is actionable more than anything. And that's why 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the actionableness of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Wow. That's what love does. And nothing in there is about feeling anything. It's making a choice. It's putting a priority. And so when we talk about loving God back, a lot of times we don't love God back naturally because we're just kind of sitting around waiting for a feeling to come. And, you know, feelings come and go. There's also a lot of competition out there. Number four, there's a lot of competition out there. Uh, what I mean by that is that uh, if you look, go to the Old Testament, for example, uh, lots of the Old Testament prophets speak about, like in Hosea 8, 9, and Hosea 11 especially, Hosea talks a lot about it, about how God's people were committing adultery with God by running after the world. And God's people, you know, and the book of James in the New Testament, actually Matthew, Jesus said it, you cannot serve two masters, you either hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word literally there is mammon, which is not just money, it's, a, it's stuff. You can't serve God and stuff. You, you've got to make a choice. And Christian, this, is, this applies to believers. We can get too bogged down in our stuff. We just got so much stuff. Got to take care of it. Got to, you know, manage it and Keep it going, keep it working, keep it running. And there's nothing wrong with all that, but it can really divide our attention. And sometimes it, it actually pulls us into a love affair with those things. And that's why James talks about this in James chapter 4. He says, you adulterous people. He's writing to Christians. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, how can that be? If you're a Christian, how could you be an enemy of God? Well, this is a metaphor of how so often we sell out with our love interests. Okay, so I, what I'm telling you, let's get back to the big picture. This is a prayer. The Shema is a prayer about devotion, right? Let's zero that in. When it and comes one, to one, of that piece, one of the pieces of devotion is saying, God, I, I, I want to love you with all my heart. Why? Because you love me. But there's some roadblocks to that. And some of the roadblocks are goofy groups that Christians get involved in. Sometimes it's a lack of understanding that it's actionable, not feeling-oriented. And sometimes it's because we're just too close to this world. We're just flirting with and, you know, dating the world, so to speak. And God's a jealous God, and He's the only one that rightfully is jealous because He made it all. It all belongs to Him. And so this is, uh, uh, this is really... I think important. The last thing quickly, it's easier to be religious than to go, and go through emotions than really love God. Um, I call this the check the box Christianity. Um, you know, I go to church, check. I know some Christian people, check. I keep the rules that I think are most important, check. Check, check, check. 
We're just like checking these boxes all the time. But Jesus warned the Pharisees. He says, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former. He said, it's okay to keep tithing all of the, down to the minutest detail of what God gives to you, but don't forsake the big picture. Don't forsake loving God back. So, woe to us who check the box thinking that that's what God really cares about. It's easy to be religious. It's safe to be religious. But when you meet God and experience his love, safe and easy, go out the door. And that's what I've learned in my own life, and maybe that's what you're learning too. So, it should be natural Yet, we don't love God like really we should. If, it was, if God's love was so evident, we should be loving him back more evidently in our lives. But here's the amazing thing, and this is where we just get to the heart of the matter here as we come down near the close. And that is, even though all that is true, even, even though in the reality we don't love God the way we should, here's the amazing thing. God loves us still. You know, all week long I've been thinking, you know, every week I think about, you know, what's coming. And I think all week long I've thought about the fact that, wow, I am called to love God with all my heart, soul, and strength. And I realize what a miserable failure I am in that. And what does that even mean? To love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. But first, I've got to get this love thing down. And what I have to keep in my mind if it's going to happen, and if you're wondering what the answer to those questions are, you've got to come in the next three weeks <laughs> to find out. I'm not holding it back. I can't wait to get there, but I can't give that to you today. But the point of what this is saying is it starts with loving God. Let's just start there. Do we love God? Do I love God? Because no matter how I've lived my life as a follower of Jesus, no matter how unnaturally I've responded to the amazing evidence of his love everywhere around me, the most amazing thing is that God still loves me. His love never changes. We sang about it this morning. All those songs. I don't know how God did that, but every one of the songs we sang this morning, I was, oh, I hope we sing that song on Sunday. That would be perfect. I never talked to Brian about it. He just, that's, you know, that's... God. And there's a ton more songs we could have sang that just talk about the amazing love of God. God loves us anyway. anyway. Remember Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8? It was on the uh, video. The Lord did not send his affection, set his affection on you, or choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were, or for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Here we learn that God's love for us is simply because that's his nature. God cannot not love us. That is amazing to me. God cannot not love. It's a part of who he is. It's not only who he is. Some people have reduced that too much to say that God is love and he's only love. That's not true because God is also just. God is righteous. There's so many other things that God is. But the scriptures do sort of funnel it down and cause us to see that it's his love which is really the centerpiece of his character. 
He cannot not love. Let's talk about God's love just for a few minutes. These will go fast. I want to attach some scriptures. This is what I want you to meditate on this week, and I want you to think about all of these words that describe God's love, and I'll close with a quick story. God's love is first unprecedented. Say that with me, unprecedented. That means it's without comparison. It's totally unique. You will never experience love like the love you'll receive from God. You might have great love in this life. You might have a loving wife or a loving husband or loving children. You might have a loving family. You can have love in lots of dimensions and degrees, but you will never experience love like you experience it with God. Do you believe that this morning? And this is the thing I think about a lot. I think, wow, there's so many people that have never experienced, never tasted of, never actually connected the dots that what they were experiencing, even in those earthly loves, actually is an extension of God's love too. And they've not given him glory to say, God, thank you for the gift of my wife or the gift of my husband or the gift of my children. Well, God has not received the praise for it because they felt it's linear. It's just something that's come in a natural way. But all of that comes from God. Many other things too. God's love is unprecedented. I love what 2 Chronicles 6.14 says. Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You know, God, do you notice that? There is no God like you in heaven or on earth. God's love is unprecedented. And to think of the lengths he goes. Number two, God's love for us is unconditional. We talk about the love of God. It's not framed in condition. It's not I love you if, it's I love you. In fact, it's not only I love you, it's I love you even though you fall short of my standards for your life. Romans 5.8 in while we were yet sinners. This is how the love of God was manifested. God demonstrated his love for us this way, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2.4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. In Titus 3, verse 4, but when the kindness and love of our God, God our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. I know so many people who are attempting to receive love by doing things, attempting to receive the love of God by things they do. God's love is unconditional. Thirdly, God's love is unchanging. God's love is unchanging. God will never change his mind about you. You know, people do. People change their minds. God never changes his mind about us. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, God says. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I love what Isaiah 54 says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Hosea 14.4, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger is turned away from them. God's love never changes. Number four, God's love is unlimited. can never uh, run out or de be depleted in any degree, an endless supply. 
That's why Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, he said that it was his prayer that they would understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It never runs out. It is a limitless supply. Some of us feel like our lives or the course of our lives or the actions of our lives have somehow we've, ex- you know, we've punched the last ticket. God's finished loving us. And aren't you glad that God's, you, could, you could go to the bottom of the deepest sin of your life and God's pool of love would remain as deep as it ever was. And someone needs to hear that this morning. God's not finished with you. God has a plan for your life. His love is an everlasting love. And I love the fact that his love is also unblocked. I see this in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Unprecedented, unconditional, unchanging, unlimited, unblocked. This is the love of God. And God says, when you pray this prayer back to me, you are recognizing that my love is different and better and greater than any love you could possibly know. And the lengths I go to show it to you. And that is why, that is why we love him back. We love him back because this is his love for us. You know, on Friday mornings, I start my sort of sermon prep for the weekend. I don't mean I start studying for the sermon. <laughs> I have this little rhythm, but Friday morning on a walk usually is where I start saying to God again, Lord, I know where we're going this week, and now Holy Spirit began to work in my heart. So I took a little walk this last Monday, uh, last Friday. It doesn't always work this way, but I was saying, God, just it would be cool if I could just see something of the way your love has worked in some new, fresh way. And so I'm walking the dog. I'm coming up Redwood Road. The garbage trucks are doing their thing. (laughs) And I'm praying this whole way around the block and for other things too, but I've got this on my mind. And I notice when I get in front of the garbage truck, there's a car pulled over. It's in the right lane. It's in the right lane. There's no place on Redwood Road to park. This person's just stopped there. And the garbage truck is coming behind. And then I see as I'm getting closer, I'm seeing the window roll down. Okay, they must want to talk to me. Pastor Larry, the girl says in the driver's seat, you don't know who I am, but I've got a story for you. <laughs> so I'm standing there, well, you better be fast because the monster truck is coming, you know. So I'm, I'm trying to lean into the window, and she's telling me, I've got a friend. And she goes into this whole story about a friend who is sitting in the back of our church. She does not go to this church, but her friend did. And her friend is sitting in the back of our church at one of our outreach production seasons a couple years ago for Easter. And she's here early because she wants to be the first one in line to get tickets. And she goes, she leaves the service, goes out, she, and she's standing in line. And she realized, the Holy Spirit says, buy six tickets. She's only going to buy two, one for her husband and one for her. Buy six tickets. Why six tickets? She didn't argue. She, okay, she just buys six tickets. She goes home, tells her husband. The husband's fine. Oh, great. Okay, what are you going to do with six tickets? Well, I don't know. So her, she's telling me this, ah, the truck's coming closer. Come on, lady, you got to speed it up. So she's telling me, well, so, so we, she decided she was going to give it to a neighbor of ours. We live in the same proximity, and, and, but this neighbor was dying of cancer at the time. So we were hoping that they would come. And so, and she's telling me a little bit more, and then he dies 
Oh, and so the family's devastated. Of course, it doesn't work out. Who are you going to get these tickets? And, this, and then the truck is literally like, you got to move. So she goes, huh. So she drives around on the hire, and she's there. So I walk, and I'm there on hire. In the parking, okay, you've got another 30 seconds. You better keep going. <laughs> and so she's telling me the story, and how she, it builds on and on. I, there's so, so many things I'm leaving out of this story, but just how God just keeps tracking this thing down. And finally, it comes down to her friend saying, I've, I've exhausted my list. I don't know what I'm going to do. You should have the tickets. So she's, now this lady is at doing a blood work at a hospital, and the phlebotomist is taking her blood, and the phlebotomist tells her, how, she asks her how she's doing, she says, well, I'm doing pretty good today. You know, I'm a little down. I got some stuff going physically. And the phlebotomist says, you should never complain because every day is a gift from God. My husband was murdered like four months before this, and she just gives testimony about that. And she said, believe me, I'm in a lot of a swirl myself, but me and my, my three kids were doing as best we can. And suddenly it hit her. There were four people in this family. And she said, have you ever been to one of the productions at Three Crosses? The person said, no. We're doing an e they're doing an Easter production, and I happen to have four tickets. Would you like them? She said, I would love them. Would you meet me there? Yes. They sat right in the front row. They heard the gospel. She, this woman said, this family was transformed by that experience of seeing the love of God through his son Jesus. And by the way, the truck finally got tired and went around her. And then she gets out of the car. This is a half hour conversation. We're having all this. And then just before we finish, this guy walks up and he starts talking to us, and it's like I can tell he's in his 20s or so, and I can tell there's some kind of, because he just starts talking like he knows me, like he knows her. It's a little bizarre, and he's telling me about, he's looking for dinosaurs in Castro Valley. It's like a little game thing that he's playing on his phone. And I'm like, oh, you know, and so I'm, so I'm saying, I would love to hear your story, sir, but I'm just trying to finish up with this story. <laughs> in the back of my mind, God's saying, you wanted to hear some stories today. And then, so I said, this, I, said, I said, I want to pray for this woman. Would you just pray with me? I had no idea where this kid was. I put my arm on him like this and my arm on her, and I start praying. And this kid, I'm praying, Lord, bless this woman, her vision for people, her love for people. And we mentioned some names that she had mentioned. And this kid is going, yes, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Thank you for your love on my life. He's like, I'm going, whoa, what's going on here? This is like the angel that walked up in the midst of the conversation. And so then she finally got in her car, walked away, and I said, I'm still walking. You want to walk with me? He goes, I'd love to. So we walk along down the road, and, I could t and he says, I, I'm thinking in my mind, I wonder what happened because he's not, you know, like he's not normal, <laughs> whatever that is, but he's, <laughs> but he says out of the blue, he says, you know, the accident I was in wasn't really that bad. And my mom lives, so it's all good. I don't know what his story is. I don't know what happened. But he was God's little messenger of God's love in that moment. You know, this is why we love God back. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for little demonstrations, little reminders, little ways that we see your love at work. Thank you, Lord. Lord, bless this prayer in our lives this week as we say to you, we love you, Lord.
show us. And Lord, if someone this morning doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today you would meet them and simply cause them to say yes to you and believe on you and be saved. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.